Do you mind if I smoke? It won't affect the test. All right, I'm going to ask you a series of questions. Just relax and answer them as simply as you can. You've got a little boy. He shows you his butterfly collection, including the killing jar. I'd take him to the doctor. You're listening to a podcast. Suddenly, you realize there's a wasp crawling on your arm. Which podcast? It doesn't matter. Just answer the questions, please. Which podcast? Um, now playing the movie review podcast hosted by Stuart, Jacob, and Brock. The movie series being reviewed is the Philip K. Dick series with such classic films as Blade Runner, Total Recall, and Minority Report. I go to nowplayingpodcast.com every Friday to download a new episode of the series. You hear a warning that these podcasts will be full of spoilers. I hit pause, watch the movie, and then listen to the podcast. You're reading a magazine. You come across a full-page photo of a naked woman. Shh, with the questions. The podcast is starting. Today we're talking about Total Recall, starring Colin Farrell, Kate Beckinsale, Jessica Biel, Brian Cranston, John Cho, Bill Nye, and directed by Len Wiseman. This is Brock, co-host of Now Playing. This is Stuart. I'm still podcasting, and I don't even know who I am, but maybe I do. This is Jacob. <laughs> Get your ass to <laughs> where? Where are we going? Australia or the UK? <laughs> We're going back to one of the most heavily requested, at least by a small minority, shows that we didn't do. And we've always been aware of it. We always planned for this day one time, but I just want to relive 2012 for folks. If you wanted to know why we didn't go to movie theaters and review Total Recall the weekend it came out here in America, August 2012, we were kind of busy. I'll just put it that way. Jacob, major superhero franchises with you. We had Avengers that summer, Batman, Spider-Man, Brock. We had been doing Alien franchise. We were working our way through 25 James Bond movies. There was not a free weekend to do it. So you're saying August 2012 this came out because the last Comic-Con I went to was 2011 and this had a presence there. There was the replicas of the flying cars and the robots. So this, what, they waited a year to release this? I would have figured it was almost ready to go if it was at Comic-Con. It had a substantial budget and it was expected to produce sequels and be a very big franchise indeed. And then somewhere along the way, yes, maybe even with that Comic-Con reception I know that Arnie did attend Hall H when they screened footage and he saw 3D footage. This movie was planned to be a big 3D film. You know, every movie was coming out in that way. And the post-conversion was so expensive and the response was so lukewarm that Sony scrapped that. And so I think that they just downplayed expectations and kind of dumped it in the dog days of summer. And yeah, when you're competing against The Dark Knight Rises and Amazing Spider-Man and The Avengers and Prometheus and all of that, you do get lost in the shuffle if you're not in your A-game. And that's the other thing. I mean, if the movie had looked great 
we would have found a way, right? We would have absolutely done it if people were screaming, this is so amazing. It's the best Philip K. Dick on screen. Let me ask you a question. Now, you said they were planning on major franchises. Correct me if I'm wrong. There is not a lot of wiggle room here for a sequel. So what exactly were they thinking about as far as franchising? Do we know? We know that they said if people like it, we're going to make more. They were hungry for sequels. It didn't really matter if there wasn't an obvious doorway. You can always have more space adventures with your character. They're going to finally get to Mars? <laughs> yeah, you could go to Mars. They do that in the story, or at least Mars was in the story. I think it's the biggest change for this one is we're going to go to magma. We're not going to go to Mars. <laughs> we're going to go to the center of the Earth. Uh, I can't wait to talk about it. In the movie, he tells himself, get to my apartment, which is not at the same ring as get your ass to Mars. <laughs> <laughs> It's certainly not. And they do a whole lot of referencing to that 1990 Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. It's surprising that they don't want us to forget that it existed, that they're not pretending that wasn't a big hit 22 years before. I agree, Stuart, because I'm like, I didn't rewatch Vorhoven's Total Recall because I wanted to go into this fresh, give it a fair shake. I know its reputation, but this movie does its damnedest to keep reminding me of a better one. Yeah, and that's what I want to stress. This reputation was terrible. It flopped in America, only made about 60 million, most of which opening weekend, and then people ran away. I heard no good critical notices. It did eventually through all the foreign territories, thanks to the magic of international audiences that don't necessarily speak English. Damn you, UFB in the colony. Movies that do lukewarm in America can still gross their money back, but it was by no stretch of the imagination a hit. And so we knew we would go back to Philip K. Dick when there was something we were excited to see. And for me, that will be in October when we can review the sequel to Blade Runner. That I'm really excited about. Uh, Stuart, when we talked about the original Total Recall in 2012, you had mentioned this movie was coming out, this remake, and you seemed excited that they were going to do the book, do the adaptation of the actual story. You had every impression, if you listen to our podcast, that they were going to go back to the source material and give us a thoughtful a Philip K. Dick adventure. Did you have any idea that they were going to decide to remake the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie instead of going back to the actual source material, and when did you find out? Yeah, I that certainly was a big turnoff. Right? It has to be, right? I mean, not to parody this movie, but haven't we seen this before? I mean, weren't you having all kinds of like, I think I've lived this already going through this movie. I thought that there was an opportunity, certainly, when you look at the original 20-page story to go in a different direction. It's basically a premise. Uh, you, we can insert you with memories. You can do anything. You don't have to recreate a spy adventure even. You could do anything with that premise. And the Story writers for that Schwarzenegger picture, all three are credited here. They had to. It follows that closely. No, I agree. And that is the biggest surprise. Yeah, you said it. That premise, you could do anything with it as long as you're implanting memories. And the fact that they do a straight up remake of Verhoeven's Total Recall is perhaps the biggest shock. And I guess I wasn't too shocked when I saw who was involved. Lynn Wiseman is most famous for the Underworld series. You don't want to be on the Underworld series retrospective? <laughs> yeah, the, that franchise I don't think we're ever going to do because I don't think any of the hosts have ever said anything kind about it. I've only seen one and yeah, nothing kind to say. I liked the first one enough. And that's not that's not a good way to go into it. Okay. Okay, so Brock's on. Not it. <laughs> 
Oh, gosh. But Lynn Wiseman, he did go on to direct a Die Hard movie I don't think any of us were particularly impressed with. He's not a director who is known for reinventing. I'll put it that way. He makes things maybe look cool, but he takes things that we've seen before and, you know, hey, here's my idea. Dracula and the Wolfman in the Matrix. You know what I mean? Like, it's not totally fresh, even when it's a quote-unquote original concept. And this screenwriter. Boy, when I saw Kurt Wimmer, what he had written, it was instantly. I was like, this movie's going to have to work its ass off not to get a red arrow. He wrote Ultraviolet, which may be <laughs> my least favorite film of this millennium. It's a Mia Jovovich movie that I watched out of curiosity to see if it was any worse than Resident Evil. And oh my, yes, it is. He's also married to Kate Beckinsale, and a little piece of trivia there. And he's done a lot of those Underworld movies, which someone's watching them. <laughs> Croatia loves it. <laughs> But yeah, he's kind of moved into TV. I mean, he came from special effects departments. He's really obsessed with design. I did watch the Blu-ray features here. A lot of what he talks about, a lot of what he's proud about in this film is the way that things look and how he was able to do it with the budget that he was given. Why don't we go ahead and do it, Brock? I almost feel like this is a formality. We like to give plot summaries, but honestly, you're changing a few words here from the Arnold one, right? It's the same movie. Pretty much. There are some differences that I will try to highlight. So at the end of the 21st century, chemical warfare has left only two inhabitable areas of the Earth, Great Britain and the Colony. You're just reading the 10 minutes of the exposition I had to read at the beginning of this movie. <laughs> it's the only thing that's different. Gee, way to call me out there, Jacob. Yeah. Yes, actually, it's a lot of words in the beginning, but Great Britain and the Colony, which is actually modern-day Australia. And each day, workers who live in the overcrowded Great Britain take a giant express elevator called The Fall to work on the colony. Average colony factory worker Douglas Quaid, played by Colin Farrell this time, is having a recurring dream where he is a secret agent escaping a hospital facility in a hail of gunfire with the help of the beautiful woman, played by Jessica Biel. He awakes from this dream next to a different beautiful woman, played by Kate Beckinsale. I don't know. They look the same to me. <laughs> it's the Michael Jackson, Janet Jackson syndrome. I'm like, which one is it? I can't tell. Kate Beckinsale is basically in the Sharon Stone role. Uh, the world is run by businessman Co Hagen, played this time by Brian Cranston in an absolutely terrible wig, who is the owner and chief proponent of an automated robot soldiers, which Quaid builds in his factory job on the colony. Like in the original, there's a resistance making trouble for Cohagen, who has this big master plan we're going to learn about later. Quaid hears about Recall, becomes curious, we've heard this plot before, goes to Recall, get a dream implant, and that's when it all hits the fan. Turns out he already has an implant, his real name is Hauser, he's a secret agent who was sent to infiltrate this resistance by Cohagen. He's sent to find their leader, this time called Matthias, not Quato, and... He is sent there to stop the resistance, but while he was undercover, just like before, he fell in love with the beautiful girl there named Melina, this time played by Jessica Biel. So as we follow Quaid, as he tries to piece together who he was, where he went, what's going on, it all comes to a head. We have a lot of the same scenes we've seen before, but all modernized, and we'll talk about that. So basically, we learned that he was captured to find another way to infiltrate everything. Cohagen's master plan is to take over the colony with his robot warriors. Quaid decides that he wants to be Quaid, not Hauser. He defeats Cohagen by destroying the fall, and independence comes to the world. 
and we'll talk about other things. Oh, one major thing is they don't go to Mars. Most of the world you cannot live in because the air quality is poor, much like on Mars. And so instead of Mars, there's most of the world is kind of like that kind of desperate, weird area where not many people live and those who do live there have to be very careful how to breathe, etc., etc. So we'll get into it. So that's the basic plot of the 2012 Total Recall. Okay, I'm going to break a rule here, because I, I think we've all agreed, in a movie, your first act, you get to set up your world, you get to set up the rules, whatever dumb rules you want to set up, I'll go by as long as you stick with them, but I am sorry, this whole premise that there is the United Federation of Britain, and the colony, and nowhere else, and they built a big old tunnel between them, that the workers got to travel on every day, like it's Subway, I don't even know how that works, they go through the core, they go through the middle of the earth this thing had to cost quintillions of dollars clean the air with that money like make the world hospitable like this is the dumbest print like fine you don't got money you don't want to go to mars for whatever reason come up with a better premise like this premise i reject outright as soon as i realized what they're trying to pull on us here i just i can't buy into this world why on earth did they not go to mars was my question seriously why not just go back to mars i would say that just to play devil's advocate that was i think mine and maybe all of our least favorite part of the Schwarzenegger movie. Some of it was art direction. It looked a little cheap and then some of the plot twists were a little bit crazy and maybe you write that as well. The character was crazy and it was all in his head. Is it any crazier than the president of the world wanting to invade an entire country with robots and kill everyone so they could sell the real estate to other people? This movie only gets stupider. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, here's what I would say just about this beginning. It's disappointing to me because the appeal of recall is that it fulfills fantasies what is the fantasy for our main character douglas quaid then he doesn't want to go to mars he doesn't want to do much i'm not getting a whole lot out of colin farrell and this is a surprise to me because i don't think you could convince me that colin farrell ever has been worse an actor than arnold schwarzenegger <laughs> but he is less interesting in this movie and Colin Farrell's not always a great actor, but I've seen him where he's had to play more or less like a straight man. I think of The Lobster or Seven Psychopaths, and he does really good with that. He's able to bring something to those roles. He brings nothing to this. I guess he had the stamina to run around a lot because that's all he does. Well, actually, in addition to running around a lot, he leaps. There's a lot of leaping. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like Mario Brothers in this thing. A lot of cardio in the movie. Amazing. We actually saw him, obviously, we should mention that we saw him in Minority Report earlier in this series, and he was... An up-and-comer at that point, and I saw him in Phone Booth and thought he was great in that one as well. I have a tough time trying to figure out when I dislike Colin Farrell. I even liked him, and you guys might kill me for this, I actually liked him as Bullseye in Daredevil. I thought he was one of the bright spots of that movie with the Ben Affleck one. <laughs> yeah, the only, yes, the only one having fun in that film. I hated that movie, but no, I agree with you on that point. I'm more or less a fan, here's the way I would put it, I feel like most of his movies are bad, but I feel like most of the time he's fun to watch. And so I like the premise of the first movie. You're getting obviously a step up, several steps up as an actor. I think it's not going to be an action movie because it's not about muscles, right? You cast Arnold, it's got to be about violent action. Here, one of the big shocks has got to be this is PG-13. And I guess maybe that was done in post to try and say, we, we want to wring the most money out of this. But this thing has been severely cut down. This is the director who brought us PG-13 Die Hard. True enough. 
And I just want to point out, your plot summary, Brock, very good though it was, is describing the theatrical release. Did either of you see the, quote, extended director's cut that's available? I don't know. What's the difference? I wasn't sure which cut I watched. I did watch the scenes. I went back, and I since I knew which scenes they were, I went back and watched the specific scenes that were different. If there's tiny things here and there that make a big difference, I miss them, but I did see the big reveal, which you're going to tell us about right now. Yeah, exactly. The way to know is, was Ethan Hawke in your movie? No. Okay, so at the beginning of this, Quaid wakes up. Again, his dream is boring. He's in some unnamed, it looks like a hospital or something, running around with Jessica Biel. It's not the Mars. It's not doing anything epic. It's just kind of, I don't know, a persecution fantasy. His wife even interprets as maybe your marriage is not working if this is what you dream about at night. But he gets news reports early and often in this first act about a terrorist. And this terrorist is Carl Hauser. And in the news reports on the extended cut, you have that person identified. That is Ethan Hawke. He is in all of those scenes. And what you will find out over the course of the movie is that Ethan Hawke had his face surgically changed to look like Colin Farrell. Right. So he's Hauser, but in the version we saw, they don't show the face of the terrorist Hauser. You just find out that it's him anyway. I'm shocked that Ethan Hawke doesn't just show up as Deckard from Blade Runner, because I feel like maybe they're remaking Total Recall, but they want this to be in the Blade Runner world with the set design, when we first see the colony. It just it just feels like something from that Ridley Scott film with the stacked buildings the Asian influence. I don't know what you guys are talking about. There's some Russian influence too. No, I know it's embarrassing. <laughs> this thing is like, oh, let's do a new version. We'll just do it in Blade Runner instead of in Paul Vorhoven's world. Yeah, the cars look like Blade Runner. It's The cars look like Minority Report. That too, yes. Yeah, let's take the two biggest hits from Philip K. Dick <laughs> that weren't Total Recall and call it Total Recall. I am surprised at how lazy this is. I will say this. If you only watch the theatrical cut, you're going to think that Lynn Wiseman cared only about aping art direction from Minority Report and Blade Runner. If you watch the extended cut, you'll see that he did try to play with the paranoia that I really like about Total Recall. I don't feel like it's here in this more available version of the movie. When we find him going to Total Recall, I don't think we're ever asked to think that he's lobotomized in the chair. No, this is, for me, watching the theatrical cut, Super Mario Brothers. A lot of running and leaping. No meditation on what it means to have memories implanted and who you are. It's all about the action. I, I feel like we could go through this pretty quickly because a lot of it's just running and fighting. The only thing that tells me that Quaid has a fantasy about being a spy is that when he is riding the fall, and yes, we can get into that now and complain about that now. The fall enslaves us all? Like, I don't even know how this is enslaving people. Like, this is what they want to destroy these rebels. But in the 17-minute ride to get to the colony... He's reading Ian Fleming's The Spy Who Loved Me, which is a bad choice, by the way. That's like the worst Bond book. But it's called The Spy Who Loved Me, and he thinks he's a secret agent, and it's shorthand for the audience. If you're seeing him read Casino Royale, you and I would get the correlation, but the audience, you know, the lowest common denominator. The enslaving thing, Jacob, is that, you know, if you ever commute in a subway or a train, that's what they mean by that is that, you know, you're a slave to your day-to-day -day life. Yeah, I get that. I don't like going to work either. <laughs> I had to sit in traffic in LA. I'm not starting an underground revolution to blow up the freeways. <laughs> 
want to say, if all construction workers had the kind of apartment that he does. Totally. I really do not think that there would be this sense of uh, 1% and entitlements. And I mean, this man is living very, very well. And so it's very hard to understand that these people are oppressed because this future is so clean, bright. I mean, the thing about Blade Runner is because of its darkness, it felt like a dystopia. Here, because they wanted to make this 3D, the key is turned up and everything is very sunny and brightly lit. And so it just feels like a nice place to be. Actually, Stuart, she complains that she lives in a dung hole. Remember, she was complaining to him about that. And then when they're running around in Chinatown or the stacked colony, it kind of reminded me of the um, <laughs> Incredible Hulk movie with Ed Norton when he was running around that part of the world when with the bottling factory. You know what I'm talking about. Brazil or whatever. Yeah. South America somewhere. South America. It reminded me of that. I kind of felt it was crammed on top of each other. I got what they were talking about, about how everyone's on top of each other. I didn't find that a very nice place to live. I found his apartment was full of wonderful amenities, like a really cool refrigerator that has like a panel on it and stuff. That was really cool. I see your point there, but I think it crystal clear showed me that the world, people are on top of each other. And Have you lived in an apartment? Because that's called living in an apartment. I lived in New York City for how many years? I know exactly what this feels like. Believe me, the roach is the size of a sumsum. Did you try to start an underground army to blow it all up? That's all I'm asking. Like, they go to extremes in this movie for normal living conditions that people live in now. Yes. And so, again, I feel like so much of the backstory, you know, the cool thing, again, in a movie that's teasing, maybe he stepped out of his routine and turned the things in his routine into part of his spy paranoia. I don't feel like there's a lot of things when we see this setup here, him wandering around, meeting his friend Harry, going to work and welding on these synthetic police officers. They're basically Robocops or the clones from the Clone Wars. Replicants, but they don't have flesh yet because we want to be Blade Runner. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, in the original Total Recall with Arnold Schwarzenegger, I got his sense of longing, his sense of desperation, his sense of loneliness much more than I'm getting from Colin Farrell in the exact same amount of time, which is very surprising. I'm already suspect of something going on because when he meets with Harry on the subway... Bokeem Woodbine. Now, I realize he was Shocker in Spider-Man Homecoming. I just didn't realize it was him. I like this actor. If you've seen Fargo, the second season, he plays a great character. I just love the way he delivers his lines. But come on, he comes off as a bad guy. There is something menacing. Like, he's just a little too friendly. Yeah, and I would say the same thing about the wife. Like, I don't get, like, they're trying very hard to fool us that the people that he's surrounded with aren't in on some conspiracy to keep him down and keep him away from recall. Nor do I feel like we learn anything about this world that isn't told to us in CNN reports. I mean, there's just so many news flashes of Cohagen said this and Matthias said that and all of it is told to us and... I don't think our main character cares anything about it. The only way that it's relevant at all is that he has to do a double shift because they're going to need so many more police officers than normal because there's been a blow up on a train. This is a post 9-11 total recall, so security's a little tighter. That's the difference. It's also a post J.J. Abrams total recall. Do you guys notice all the lens flares? It gets distracting at times, like where the whole screen goes yellow. They were very proud of it extended dialogue in the commentary stuff about how many lens flares they put in here. They loved it. Again, if you want to hear about the design work, you will have to spend the two hours and 15 minutes watching all the behind the scenes stuff. I'm not going to repeat that for you. If you want to know why this movie 
Does it work harder in trying to have the schism of the mind that Philip K. Dick stories, all of them typically do? Nobody on the commentary was saying. But if you watch the extended cut, you do get more of that. I am going to advocate, if you must watch this movie, it is longer and it's not necessarily appreciably better, but it works harder at doing what I liked about the story. So they're going to explain things why when Quaid... Colin Farrell's character has this longing and is thinking about going to recall like there's a three-tit hooker as he's walking through the red light district. Not because there's any reason for it in this story, but because it was in that Arnold film. Are there mutants because of the bad air in this world? It was just weird that they wanted to replay that beat. They were proud that they were able to do the boobs so much better. They're proud of everything on this, aren't they? It was the silicon. They wanted to show that they can make <laughs> a better boob. Again, Lynn <laughs> Wiseman was on... Independence Day, Stargate, he has worked props. And that is the kinds of things that he really put his time and energy into. So if they're going to redo things from the original, he's doing to show how much better they can do it now than in 1990, which admittedly, some of those effects really don't hold up. They also did the lady when he's going through security, the two weeks lady. I'm here for two weeks. I'm here for two weeks. And if you've seen the movie, you know that's a nod there. It seemed like the three-breasted woman and that woman there were complete nods for us who have seen the original. And they kind of played that one as a red herring for us here. You know, that was kind of fun. They did that. I'll give them that one. But we kind of knew that he was in disguise anyway, not only because the two weeks later gave it away, but because when he opens up his chest, we see all the identities that go through his head. I kind of like that they did it that way. But the three-breasted woman, I agree with you both. It seemed like they put it there because they felt they had to because it's just a distinct something they quote about constantly when you talk about the classic Total Recall. I would enjoy those moments more if the rest of the movie didn't feel like a total repeat. I mean, the problem is it's all kind of a callback once we get, yeah, the art direction's different. There's a Buddha statue when he goes to the company and sits in the chair. But really, this thing is very lazy in how much it recreates what anyone that has seen the first movie as much as I have knows by heart. Yeah, it's reminding me of a much better movie. And you say they've changed the aesthetic because they got a Buddha statue, but that recall chair is exactly the same as that that Arnold one like they can't even come up with something different here yeah I'm even going to argue the tech I mean if this is the thing that's going to not only is it a Blade Runner minority report ripoff it's not even that different from what we have going on now except the phone is implanted in his hand I mean honestly I feel like this script could be like Kiefer Sutherland episode 23 of 24 you know what I mean like it's just not that progressive it does not push the science of the science fiction any further so if we're watching a, a movie that we've already seen before, not done as well, with effects that might be technically better, but aren't showing us a new world, I've got to ask, when did you know that you didn't want to watch anymore? I told you, right when they told me that premise, and right around this time is where I really tuned out. I mean, John Chu shows up as Mac with his bleached hair, as the doctor here that's going to inject the drugs. Talk about not having any new science. They're like, we're still going to give you to you through a vein because that's the best way to get drugs into you. Like, hasn't changed enough. <laughs> Hundreds of years. But yeah, there was one moment I liked. I guess I could geek out with the director and say, it looks great. I like, you know, the police surround this place because they somehow know Quaid is at recall. 
and Quaid has taken out a couple of cops. The SWAT team's out there. They shoot a gun in there that shoots like all these little, I thought they were like BBs or something out, but they're little cameras and they're able to create a 3D image. I thought, okay, that's kind of cool. I don't know why it takes him forever to like figure out that he's the only one in there and he's taking everyone out. And then we're just going to go on a chase that is way too long and I tune out. I'm done by this point. I actually like that gun a lot too. And I also like the rope gun they have that ties you up and pulls you back. Those two pieces of tech I liked a lot. Okay, for me, the break it point is when we get back to Kate Beckinsale. I'm praying she's not just going to be a Sharon Stone repeat. I'm like, please do something new with this character. But when she has to say, I give good wife and starts beating him up and like trying to kill him with a hug, I'm like, oh no. Didn't Sharon Stone do that move with her legs too? Like, I swear they repeat some of the fights here. Look, I like the Lori character here with Kate Beckinsale. They kind of combine her with the Michael Ironside character, I think, from that first Total Recall. And I like that. I like that she has more of a part to play here instead of just a femme fatale. I, I don't know. There's half a point for being progressive. <laughs> but I agree. They're going to just play everything by the same beat. Well, actually, I did like that they combine the character. I picked that up too. And I thought that was a very wise choice to make. You have Kate Beckinsale, you know what she can do if you watch those Underworld movies. I can't believe I just said that sentence. And you know what she can do. It. Yeah, she's done some really good Jane Austen stuff too. Yeah, she can act. I've seen her do things. She was in Pearl Harbor and she actually was a highlight in that. So I'm telling you, you have Kate Beckinsale, use her. You did ask though before, when did you, when you tune out? I went a little farther. I tuned out when all of a sudden Quaid is on the highway in the chase and Jessica Beale happens to find him right there. The coincidence of her looking for him and finds him at that exact moment, at exact place. There's no way in God's green earth that she would have been there at the exact right time. It reminds me of all of our complaints when you watch Die Hard 3 when he gets blasted by the water and Sam Jackson's driving right by. That whole thing like, oh, come on, what's the possibility of him being right there? There are coincidences in movies all the time. But this one, I could not swallow, and this one is where exactly, I can tell you exactly, that is where I turned on the movie, in that I am no longer going to give them any more carte blanche to show me what they're going to do. I realized then and there, after that chase, with that coincidence of Chris Jessica Biel, they want nothing to do with being creative here, they just want to make another action movie. No, you didn't get that? I mean, they replayed the fake head right before that, except it's a collar this time instead of an actual fake head to get through security. He's changing the props. This, to him, is like what this movie is about. Did you notice the Obama money? I thought that was a pretty good prop. Yeah, to me, that is always the sugar sprinkle. The thing about a science fiction movie is that it's about the science. And certainly, the thing about a Philip K. Dick movie is it's about identity. Who am I? Who do I want to be? You got Colin Farrell. God knows the guy could really take this premise of, oh my God, I could actually be the terrorist and run with that. But... All he does is run with it. I mean, he does not <laughs> literally do any dramatic acting here. And it's set up really bad, too, because, again, they're going to replay. Oh, here's it's not a briefcase, but he finds a video of himself telling himself where to go. You got to find the key and go to your old apartment after this big car chase they end up somewhere i'm like wait what is this place they're going into like it seems everything's bagged up i'm like oh wait this is that apartment like they don't even establish locations i feel in this movie like it is just we are going to move from one set piece to the next instead of taking the big red ball tracer out of his head as you mentioned before Stuart, they change props they take the phone out of his hand instead of talking to himself in a briefcase he talks to himself after the piano so it's all the same beats changed a little bit around but i did like the payoff though they set up early about him wanting to play the piano and then he enjoyed that he could play the piano yeah but i, I was like is he gonna have a vision of a unicorn <laughs> <laughs> yes 
yes. How much are they going to rip off Blade Runner? I mean, honestly, the way that shot and all, we were thinking Deckard and the piano, they don't do that. Essentially, it's just a magic little black key. One of the 88 keys is uh, false, and he needs to put this pin light he's been given into the slot, and now it plays, and yeah, he can talk to himself. Again, these are such small choices. I can't believe you think you've made a new movie by doing this kind of thing. Well, wait a minute, Stuart. Are they trying to make a new movie? I think the three of us agree they should have, and I think the three of us agree they had source material they could have mined in giving us a whole new version of this movie. But it's clear to us that they didn't want to do that. So my question is, maybe they're making a Total Recall in 2012 for the audience who was what? When this came out, we were all teenagers, right? There's possible that there's a lot of people out there who haven't seen that original movie who think this is all original ideas. Here's the problem for me. That first Total Recall works because there is that 80s action flick charm where we're going to have puns and gratuitous nudity. And yeah, the sets might not look great, but there's a charm to it. This, I feel like, what, what was the popular action franchise by this time, what? The Bourne films, which are not about charm. It, it is about that shaky cam and just brute action. And that's just not as much fun to me. Yeah, I mean, Paul Warhoven has a sense of style. Lynn Wiseman should be designing furniture. I mean, he has no style when it comes to storytelling. None. Zero. And all of his movies, they're completely impersonal. Who wants to see an impersonal Philip K. Dick story? A movie that's all about my personality is broken and who am I? Now I'm wondering why I should care. I'm wondering when and if they could change it. It's Here's the thing. If you haven't seen the one before, I think you're still going to be bored because the action's not getting me. It's a lot of running around, but it's missing that R-rated flair, and it's not getting under my skin. There's no gross-out moments. There's no moments where I'm white-knuckling it. They spend a whole lot of time in elevators at one point, yes. and I'm thinking, this is a movie? <laughs> yeah, no, it worked really well in Monsters, Inc. when they're going through all those doors. Not so much here. <laughs> there is a beat that they try to play with the identity thing, and it was a repeat from the original movie, but we should talk about it, where his best friend comes to him and tries to convince him that he's still in Recall. And in the original movie, what gave it away was the guy from Recall in the commercials, Quaid notices he's sweating, and here the tip-off was that Jessica Biel is crying. They kind of repeat the same thing with water down a face. But I thought the actor who played his friend Harry, I thought he played that scene very well. And I thought if we're looking for scenes to highlight and show off sort of this identity process thing about could they, could they not be identity crisis stuff, that scene tries really hard to play that. And I think the actors did the best they could to convey that in this scene. I appreciate that you want to give that moment a compliment. <laughs> but again, by comparison, when I think about that other one, for one thing, it's still ambiguous. Yeah, if the guy's not worried about about being harmed, why is he sweating? That's not to say that he isn't real, I mean, or that he is. I mean, I think that up until the very end, you could have a debate about whether or not what you're watching is a delusion created by recall or an actual Arnold Schwarzenegger adventure in which he finds out he's so much more than a construction worker. And here, I never believe the movie is capable of having that other level. I agree with you that this movie doesn't really give that paranoia at all. But I thought they tried to play this moment and they tried to bring that in a little bit here. You said in the extended cut, there's much more of that. Here is probably the remnant of that. They try, but they're not successful. But I'll recognize that they try. You know, there are things that don't make sense, too. Even, again, as a flat-out action movie, the fact that he can, like, it's supposed to be a holographic message and yet it answers questions, like it talks to him, or they run into the elevator 
elevator and somehow Kate Beckinsale goes from the lobby to being on the 44th floor or whatever, shooting them at, when they walk out of the elevator. There's just things that don't make any damn sense. Well, here's the thing that doesn't make sense for me story-wise. I agree. The action's a mess. The staging's a mess. Like I said, I didn't realize they went to that apartment they were supposed to go to when they went there. Earlier on, Cohagen tells Lori, do not kill him. And I get that Cohagen wants Quaid live so they could find Matthias. Lori wants to kill. Why does she want to kill Quaid? I never got that. Because he is that terrorist. Because to her, as someone in the police force, I think that that terrorist is blown up per friends. They don't tell us that though, right? Like, not really. You're going to disobey the president of the world because you don't like the guy. Okay. Yeah, here's the other frustration. Again, things that don't make sense. I got a lot of them, but maybe high on the (laughs) list should be the fact that most of this police force are robots. And that's because it's PG-13. We don't want to have a lot of blood. And so they're going to do some kind of Clone Wars, iRobot thing. And just (laughs) the carnage will be all springs and bolts and robot parts. And yet she also does have friends that are in those suits that like take off the helmet and sometimes are human beings. And they get shot and killed. I don't think I understand why there's two different different versions this is why they got to work a double shift to make more robots (laughs) okay i guess that's why you're trying to phase them out yeah maybe that's it one of the other major changes with the extended cut and the theatrical cut i don't think it's clear in the theatrical cut is that jessica beal is the daughter of matthias what yeah that's who they actually want they don't even want matthias which is why they kill him so quickly she's quato basically yeah Wow. They eventually move things to the no zone, which is, you know, it should be really amazing, right? Like, this is the part of the world that no one lives in, that what's wrong with it? Well, I don't know. There's green fog. <laughs> yeah, you, you put on a gas mask and then you, you're fine. Yeah, I didn't understand this part of the movie very well, and it kind of got me to be confusing, and maybe you guys can figure it out. So when they captured Hauser in the beginning, his dream is when they get he gets captured, right? And that's what he's dreaming about in the beginning of the movie. So they capture him and give him this new identity, and they implant in Matthias's mind somehow, they tell him that inside of Quaid's head is the key to turning off all the robots so they can therefore invade. A kill code. Oh, I forgot about that plot point. I, I'm glad that ended up being a lie because that was dumb as hell too. Right, so it turns out it was a red herring to ferret out Matthias to kill him and then they were going to still use the terrorist group as an excuse to invade the colony even though the terrorist group is defeated. My question is this. I don't understand if Hauser finds out he was going to infiltrate the resistance for Cohagen. Then he finds out he turns on Cohagen because he fell in love with Jessica Beale. So that instead of killing him, they take him away, which is what his dream was about, and they give him a new identity to do what? To ferret out Matthias a different way? It's kind of convoluted. I don't understand why they would give him a different identity at all. It maybe makes sense if he wanted to spend enough brain cells on it. (laughs) I can't figure it out either. It was really clean in the original movie. There were mutants, and they had psychic abilities, and the only way to convince them that you're not a double agent is to believe you're not a double agent. Here, I don't know why they go to all of this trouble to hide the identity of Carl Hauser. I don't really get it. And again, in the extended cut, you get a lot more with Ethan Hawke. And he's really good in the movie. He actually plays off Colin Farrell well. Again, makes you wish they had made a different movie. I also feel like they needed to justify something about the fact that Cohagen wants Hauser back. 
This is the 2012s. Like, they could be gay lovers or something. There needs to be, like, a reason why he would care that much about his friend returning to his original state. So basically, we're in agreement that the whole aspect of this movie that makes it Total Recall about recalling and planting dreams and all these fantasies in your head to give you a different kind of life, that is completely wasted here, right? Because it really it makes no sense at all to have this man have a new identity at all. Yeah, you guys thought about this a lot more than me. I had tuned out by this point. <laughs> I'm so sick of the chases and the shooting and the leaping. <laughs> like I'm like, okay, replay this scene. Then replay the next one. I, I've seen a better version of this. Let's get through it. I don't care anymore at this point. Like, Yeah, I feel you both. I have to do this. I'm trying as hard as I can. But by this point, I'm not saying that there isn't a reason. I'm just saying I'm not trying to dig it out. At this point, there's too much rubble. Are we supposed to be shocked when it's revealed that Quaid's a double agent? Like, I wrote that down as a plot point, but yeah, I knew that. I don't know why we had to do all of these things again. I just don't know. The character names, even. Like, it's just... who? What did the new screenwriters do? If Lynn Wiseman is changing the props... I think that's all that's different here. I mean, honestly, I don't feel like anybody worked very hard to change this. And I have to believe that maybe this was something that Lynn Wiseman signed on to do, thinking it would help his career, thinking he could work out some of his art direction things. But he maybe hoped it would be a big hit. But he can't be passionate about this. We've done a Verhoeven remake with Robocop. And that original, it's one of my favorite films, a great satire. And when they remade that, of course it's not as good. But, oh, they actually go for something different. Yeah, sure, they have some of the same things, like a robot cop made from a human. But the remake has a different emphasis. It isn't so much a satire. So they replay things, but it's different. Here? They're not playing it different. It's a new skin on an old film with everything that made that original interesting removed. Yeah, and the other thing is I cared about Mars enough to, like, I didn't want to see little mutant orphans suffocate, <laughs> right? There were stakes just in the sense of, like, maybe I don't understand all of these conspiracies and power plays, but I don't want to see innocent people die. And here we're told that a bunch of colonists should seek some kind of shelter because they're about to be invaded or something, but... Yeah, when you tell me that robots are going to invade... Australia and kill the entire continent? I'm sorry, <laughs> not buying it. I, there's no stakes there. Yeah. Isn't there a stop button on this thing coming up from the Earth's core? <laughs> like, can't you just, like, not have it arrive? At one point, this was the most bizarre moment in the whole movie. Quaid is actually trying to open the door with the core right there. While Milena is, like, saying, why don't you wait until we're out of the core? Yes. Like, it's a little hot. I mean, you're going 4,000 miles in 17 minutes through the molten core of the Earth. Yeah, don't open the door. And at the beginning, when we first go through the fall, you know, they set up that whole thing where gravity reverses. So again, there's no suspense here because it's Chekhov's gravity reversal. It was so obvious that, yeah, I'm waiting for Quay to wait for the gravity to reverse so he could grab his gun and get out of there from all the robots. Well, let's just, I mean, you guys can pick out your favorite moments. I don't really have much <laughs> else to say other than Cohagen gets a knife and burned up. The, the bad guy gets put down. A lot of robots blow up. The thing that they seem to want to change, and you mentioned this, Brock, Kate Beckinsale is the director's wife. 
He's not going to put her out in the middle of the movie like Sharon Stone got put out. She's going to get the real final battle here. If this movie's about anything, it's about Colin Farrell versus Kate Beckinsale. Yeah, except I don't know why she had to wear the disguising mask because I can't tell them apart in this film. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. They have this whole clumsy setup about in the beginning, which maybe is a dream or maybe it really happened. It's a repressed memory, but they were holding hands and got shot through the holding hands. So both Jessica Biel and Colin Farrell have these welder's wounds on their palms. And I guess Kate Beckinsale just didn't know about that. She didn't know that she needed to create that. And so that is the tell that means that they get to kick each other's ass around an ambulance for a couple minutes. It's like the horror movie Final Scare. The villain comes back for one more thrill. And it didn't play at all, but they did set up the technology earlier in the movie. I'm going to give them all of that. They at least tried something different at the end, but for me, it didn't play. Way too many participation trophies you're handing out here to this film. Look, I'm agreeing with everything you both are saying about this movie, but I can understand a little bit about what they tried to do, and I'm trying to point out that, yeah, for somebody it might work, but for us, it doesn't, because not only have we seen this all before, we've actually seen this movie before as this movie, but We've seen many remakes over the years reviewing things for now playing. What makes this one more disturbing than other remakes is how blatant it just copies and wants us to not remember but remember the original. So, for example, if we have Star Trek, which is a remake, it's a whole different movie. If you have Halloween, the remake with Rob Zombie, it was a remake, but they did enough differently, but it was basically the same thing. They, did, You know, not really the same thing, but basically enough of their... that made it a Halloween movie that it was kind of a remake or a retelling, maybe. This one's a blatant remake. Is it such a bad idea to make a blatant remake? Or is it a bad idea to make such a bad blatant remake? Well, it's, yeah, it's that it's bad. I think some people would consider it heresy to remake a film that they love. I don't think that I hold the Arnold movie so near and dear that I, oh, they can't do anything to make it better. I mean, of course that movie could be improved upon. And again, I think steps in the right direction would be Colin Farrell. I would think that, that he would be able to bring something here, but no personality to him, no personality to this movie. Ultimately, this movie feels like some weird bastardization, like colorization or something. Like, they just took the original movie and digitally painted over Arnold's face and put Colin Farrell's face on there. I mean, it feels that close. And Stuart, you, you did call this out as being PG-13, so maybe it's dumbed down for a younger audience, and that's why something like Chekhov's Gravity reversal stood out to me. But yeah, we talked about that scar, and they get shot through the hand at the beginning, and then later on he's like, oh, a bolt went through my hand, putting a robot together. And that's why the, it's all just a little too obvious. So when Lori shows up as Melina, I'm like, ah, she's not going to have the scar. I already know where this is going. It's just not a very sophisticated movie. And again, nothing sophisticated about Arnold, but at least that one felt like there were stakes. Yeah, with orphans dying. And again, charm. Arnold was great in the 80s. You want the feeling that the rug is always being pulled out underneath you when you're watching Philip K. Dick. You want to have a clear sense of, I know where this is going, and then have that shattered. And here, this movie always lives down to what it's done before, or yeah, making changes that don't seem to add anything new at all. If this is a movie about 9-11 and terrorism, I guess we shouldn't rush to judgment about calling certain people a terrorist. I guess is the point. But that's what kind of Quaid comes down to is whatever I've done in the past, I'm not a terrorist. I'm going to be a good guy now or at least get laid with Jessica Biel. <laughs> 
I guess we just did this, but for formality's sake, Stuart, Jacob, do you recommend Total Recall? Jacob. Here's the problem. I don't want to compare this to Verhoeven's film, but this movie begs me to. You did the whole time! <laughs> but I went in, and I didn't rewatch the original. I wanted to go in with an open mind, but this film begged me to. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in and made me compare it to the original. And it does not hold a candle to that remake. So let's try to forget that. I'll get a memory implant. First time ever seen something called Total Recall. This is still a bad film. This is awful. Like the premise is just stupid. The whole conflict that robots are going to blow up an entire continent. So <laughs> this is Lex Luthor, right? So go ahead and get the real estate and sell it to richer people. Like it's just a dumb film. And then uh, I guess maybe these sets look great. I just don't care about them. It's too bad they didn't care about character and story and plot as much because it's not there. There's nothing to grasp onto for me. I, I have fallen through the elevator shaft here and fallen all the way through to the UFB because nothing here to hold on to for me. This is a strong not recommend. Stuart. Yeah, it's total retread. And here's, I'll just be nicer. For someone that enjoyed the first movie, this does feel like you didn't do anything. And it makes me mad that people were this lazy and were given $125 million. That's unfair. But life is unfair. Oh, well, that's what happened here. I did try to put myself into the perception of someone that hadn't seen the movie, maybe at all, or maybe in a long while. Would they find this acceptable? Well, I don't think they'll like it. It's impersonal but they probably won't hate it. The nicest thing I can say about Total Recall 2012 is that it just kind of rolls right over you. I don't feel much about anything. It runs right by you. I think that's a better way to put it. Yeah, I, I'll agree with that. And, you know, we've had some wretched examples in this franchise. I do think this is better than Paycheck or Next. Those are really <laughs> bad films, too. They really are. <laughs> yeah, I'm not screaming at the, you know, screen like screamers. So, on some <laughs> hand, this is maybe in the better versions of the Philip K. Dick series, just by being generic. But I just can't imagine that anyone will walk out of this fist pumping the air and feeling the way the teenage me did watching that original. Even if you're young, you're just not going to get excited about this movie. So, not recommend. And I've been saying this the whole time. I was trying to be positive about this. I was trying to review the movie we watched as opposed to just comparing it. But Jacob made a very good point. This movie wants you to remember the original movie so badly. But there's two big things about this movie that the first one had that it's lacking. And the first one is they had some wonderful plot twists in the first movie that we talked about this in our original podcast for the first Total Recall, is that even though we know the plot twists are coming, we still enjoy them when they do come on repeat viewings. The movie works as a flow. And the second part of this that this movie completely misses is the fun. There is no fun in this movie at all. There's no charm, there's no cleverness, there's no humor. It's just lacking any sense of entertainment. And I think part of what we're seeing here is beyond just it being a retread or showing us action scenes we've seen before or views and ideas that they've pilfered from other movies, they forgot that, you know, these kinds of movies have a wonderful premise that enhances the fun, that not only can you have a fun action scene, but you can have a nice, thoughtful discussion with your friends about what, as we talked about earlier today, about what is real, what's not real. Phil K. Dick is a wonderful source for incredibly th different kinds of plots. 
And what they did here was they completely wasted it. They not only completely wasted the plot that was adapted for the first movie, the first version of this, but they wasted an opportunity to give us the actual story of the short story that Philip K. Dick wrote, which all of this is based upon. They took the idea of Recall and completely squandered it, and they made a Born Identity movie. It's what they really did. So I don't recommend this either. I don't think I hated it as much as you two did, but I certainly did not like this movie. And I, and I told you when I turned on the movie, I was mostly disappointed that, oh crap, we're not going to get anything here. And it's just a waste. And to your point, Brock, I think you see it in the character. Quaid goes to recall, well, what do you want to be? I don't know. The guy has to tell him, how about a spy adventure? Eh, okay, I guess that'll do. I feel like that was everyone's attitude on this set. Yes, and Arnold knew what he wanted. He knew what kind of girl he wanted, not too big of breast, like athletic build. Yeah, Colin Farrell, again, the character here is a waste, but they don't give me a reason to care about him. No, he has no fantasy. He wants to live, and consequently, the audience wants to live. So... You got to have that if you're going to do Total Recall. Yeah, so there you go. So that's Total Recall 2012, the podcast you all wanted. You got it. Now stop the email, please. <laughs> but we're not done because there was this other thing that <laughs> nobody has requested. I don't think we've gotten one email about Radio Free Albemuth, but guess what? You don't have a choice. Next week, you're going to get it. And maybe we're going to get it. It's a little indie that was made in 2008. Screened in 2010 and shot out in, on video on demand in 2014. <laughs> and yes, all of this is building up to that Blade Runner movie. We've got other things in between. We're not going to be able to get to that right away. It would have been nice to put this closer in juxtaposition to the new film. But hey, it's August. We had some weeks to fill. It's why we didn't do Total Recall back in the day. We had to put it in when it was most convenient to us. So next week, Radio Free Albemuth. And then yes, in five weeks... Blade Runner 2049. And meanwhile, while you're waiting for us to get back to Blade Runner and get all that kind of stuff, you can go to our archive section at nowplayingpodcast.com. And of course, we have a new show every single week. And of course, we have Now Peaking that you can subscribe to. And all the information is at our website at nowplayingpodcast.com. So Jacob Stewart will be back next week for some radio-free album Something like that. Something like that. And so until next time, get your ass to Mars. Or Australia. <laughs> <laughs>
as well as reviews of other classic movie series, including Predator, Terminator, Star Trek, Rambo, The Karate Kid, all the Avengers movies, Batman, A Nightmare on Elm Street, and many more. No doubt the precogs have already seen this. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. A link to our iTunes feed can be found at our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. Look, this has not been one of my better days, so just give me my five minutes of machine time. You can also support Now Playing by making a donation using the donate button at the bottom of our webpage. Your donations help keep Now Playing on the air. Hope you enjoyed the ride! For our podcast's 10th anniversary, we have released over 150 donation podcasts through our Podbean page. Available there are series like The Matrix, the Quentin Tarantino films, Planet of the Apes, Jurassic Park, Aliens, and much more. Links to our Podbean page are available from nowplayingpodcast.com. I want more life, fucker. You can also join our Podbean crowdfunding campaign to help our show grow. Backers of $10 or more will receive exclusive bonus podcast reviews, including Lego Batman, Get Out, Galaxy Quest, Hook, The Warriors, and Coherence. A link to our patron page is at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. Very few humans have seen what you've seen today, and we're determined to keep it that way. So, if you ever reveal our existence, we'll erase your brain. Also at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash book, you can order Now Playing's film review collection, Underrated Movies We Recommend. This book has 125 reviews about films you probably haven't seen, but you should. It's like you know me. You can read me. You can follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where the hosts post movie mini-reviews, as well as new episode announcements. Links to our social media pages can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. What does a scanner see? Into the head? Down into the heart? Does it see into me? Into us? Clearly or darkly? Want to take part in the discussion? Join the Now Playing hosts at our forums, where you and the other listeners can give your thoughts on this movie. The link to our forums is at nowplayingpodcast.com. I've had people walk out on me before, but not when I was being so charming. Now Playing presents the Philip K. Dick Retrospective Series Podcasts are produced by Arnie Carvalho. Come on, don't be mean to the one who does everything for you. The Now Playing Podcast Philip K. Dick Retrospective Series is edited by Heath and Arnie. Who the hell are you guys? We are the people who make sure things happen according to plan. Now Playing's Philip K. Dick Series credits announced by Arnie. I've seen every possible ending here. None of them are good for you. The opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinions of Venganza Media Incorporated. The precogs are never wrong, but occasionally they do disagree. The film discussed in this podcast and all audio clips and music used are the property of their respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended. This podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by any entity that created or produced the movie discussed in this show. Now Playing is an independent movie review podcast with no affiliation with any company involved in the publishing, creating, or distribution of that book or film series. With any luck, this thing will just blow over. Not likely. Once the authorities open up a file on someone, they never close it. 
Now playing is copyright and trademark, Venganza Media Incorporated, 2017, all rights reserved. Do you think I'd let you leave without a kiss goodbye? They don't go to Mars. Most of the world is inhabitable, inhospitable, inhabitable. Inhabitable. You're unable to live there. And maybe you guys can figure it out. So when they captured Cole Hauser, Cole Hauser, listen to me. Hauser finds out he was going to infiltrate the resistance for Co Copenhagen again, for Cohagen. So Jacob Stewart will be back next week for some Radio Free Albemuth? Something like that. Yeah. Something like that. And until then, and we'll talk to you soon. I didn't actually have a sign off for this back then. I think it was Get Your Ass to Mars. I don't think it was. Not every single time. Was it not? I can't remember. I don't know.